0: Hello, and welcome to Publishers Weekly, FaithCast. FaithCast is a series of interviews with some of today's top authors who write in the categories of religion, spirituality, and inspiration. I'm Marcia Nelson, the Religion Reviews Editor for Publishers Weekly. I'm really delighted to be able to chat today with Robert Benson. Robert is an inspirational author who has published 16 books, including Living Prayer, and a good life. His lyrical writing certainly inspires me. Robert's newest book is Moving Miss Peggy, which is due in May from Abingdon Press, which is the sponsor of today's FaithCast. Moving Miss Peggy is a memoir of a family. Miss Peggy is Robert Benson's mother And he and his three siblings must face the reality and responsibilities that go with the recognition that someone who was always there for you is now herself in need of care. Robert tells us the sweet, understated, painful story of saying a very long goodbye to his mother as she begins to live a life colored by dementia. Welcome, Robert. Let's begin by focusing on this book. How's your mother doing these days?
1: Um, The disease is a thief, and it robs her a little bit more every day. Um, She's losing names now. So it's just just, the disease is a thief, and it just gets harder and harder. And so that's where she is.
0: How often do you see her? You have one other sibling in the immediate area. How does that work in terms of stay
1: in touch. Uh, We only live 10 minutes away. I see her twice a week and my wife goes once a week generally. And then my brother comes up. He lives a half hour away and he comes up every uh, about twice a month.
0: You're very brave to share this. Your family can stand for millions of others as adult children like yourself and and so many others, assume caretaking responsibilities for parents or other elders who are declining as they age. Uh, You obviously want to provide readers some education about the situation and what needs to be done and what that's like. Uh, Tell me, how hard was it to find the resources, the the physical uh,
1: things that you need to know? We were very fortunate in that my mother's sister... Uh, whose name is Bo. Bo actually worked for eight or nine years for for a firm, an, el- that, an elder law care firm who specialized in, in working with people and families in this sort of situation. And so we were just fortunate that Bo had worked there, and so we were introduced to these people, and this guy, uh, Tim Takis is his name, and he's one of the two or three kind of most expert people in the field in the country. And so we were very fortunate to be able to stumble into him, and then he helped us learn the books that would be helpful, the ways of... Good, the ways that go, that you go about trying to find the right sort of place for your mom to be, uh, the ways to manage the financial stuff, the insurance stuff, the government stuff, all of that. And so we, we, we just got lucky. We were not smart. We were just lucky. And so we stumbled into it. And I tried to list – I tried to talk about that in the book That's to try to say to people – that there are things that you need to learn and then tried to list some resources in the back of the book that, that frankly helped. Although I am I'm, I'm, I write memoir, I, I, I don't write information. So I'm in between there.
0: Well, I found both within this book. And I want to ask you a little bit, since you write memoir and you're not, uh, you know, like a, this is not a journalistic treatment by any means. I want to ask you a little bit more about the the emotional coming to recognize what it is that uh, that that you're dealing with in, in a loved one. How much time did you spend figuring out that this was not just forgetfulness?
1: Oh, my. we. I think, honestly, let's see. Miss Peggy has now lived in the place that she's living for two years. Mm-hmm. And it was probably three years ago. So it was a year before that. That we um, all, e- even though we didn't want to see it, but we all began to see it, and so we started to say to ourselves, "It's time to do something about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're gonna, if we're gonna be as good to our mother as she was to us, then it's time to begin to do something. So it was maybe three years, so it, it yeah, three years ago. And then once we started the process, then you just keep following your nose and trying to do the next right thing mm-hmm. as best you can. You
0: spend a certain amount of time writing about taking her car keys away.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that was the first big thing. When you had to have that conversation, then her response was, that means I can't ever go anywhere when I want to. And that's exactly right. That's absolutely the truth. And it has gotten, as the disease has gotten worse and worse, she can't even go down the hall unless somebody is with her so it just is more and more it gets more and more complex so but yeah that the taking the car keys was the first big thing and then of course you had to be willing if you said i'm taking the car keys and she said well i have to go to work on tuesday then somebody had to be willing to drive over there and pick her up and take her to work on tuesday and so all of that then everything gets more complex in that way
0: what about Miss Peggy and music? You also write about that. And, and I have heard that people who suffer from dementia often take great enjoyment in music. It's, like, it's, it's something, particularly if it's a long-term memory rather than a short-term memory. Is she still musical these days?
1: Yes, a little bit. Not so much as, as she was before. Um, at one level, it's as simple as not knowing how to work the, uh, the uh, CD player. Uh, (laughs) anymore but at the same time if you if you start singing a song then she'll jump in especially if it's something that she knew i also had this really interesting conversation and you should know about this perhaps i don't know much more about it than i had a conversation for an hour with a man named michael rosado bennett in new york city who just produced a film and is uh writing a book. He wanted me to put a chapter in the book about music and people who suffer from this disease. It's called Alive Inside. But he told me a lot about that, about the way that that music really connects to people who suffer from dementia or Alzheimer's and is a way for them to to reconnect to some portion of their life that they love. So I'm, I'm, I'm now selling somebody else's Thing, but you you should pay attention. You should pay attention for that because I I love talking to him. We had the best time talking the uh, other day.
0: And I actually kind of know this from personal experience. The the little experience I've had with uh, um, relating to someone with dementia was in in fact uh, um, an older pastor in my town. He remembered church hymns and and church tunes for mm-hmm. the longest longest absolutely.
1: time. Yeah, absolutely
0: and then when i visited him at the home the i heard this from uh, i heard this from the staff you know people here just really get into singing singing church tunes
1: there is a story in the book that i tell about my mother having my um she miss peggy's begun to wander a bit in the halls now and so uh at one point one of the caregivers came upon her and she burst into oklahoma and did all the dancing and the hand motions and everything. There's something about music that gets locked down inside somebody that that perhaps in in this part of their life uh, comes back again. I can remember sitting uh, for a while my mother was able to go to uh, a group that met in the library and they were making toys for children and very simple kinds of things but and they would sing. You'd walk in the room and they'd be singing. And it was astonishing. (laughs) Just astonishing to hear those ladies sing that way.
0: Let's enlarge the family circle at this point and, and talk about your siblings, because um, this, is a, this is a large family. You have three siblings. Yes. Um, you, you write in, in uh, Moving Miss Peggy about reconnecting with your siblings as a result of going through this together. And th- there's one thing that really caught my eye that I'd like to hear more about, and maybe you can just tell a joke. You write, in our family, being funny matters. It does. Uh, so, <laughs> it does. so what was it like growing up?
1: Oh it in the house that I grew up in, my dad was very funny. my mother was very funny. all of us are funny. You have to be funny in my family, but we laughed all the time. we just simply laughed all the time, and so once we were once we were older and you get to like three years ago then and there's twenty years' difference between me and my youngest. Brother, and we live in these four different cities, and we live completely different lives, and we don 't see each other much just simply because that 's the way that life works and so um, when we were together, when we decided to get, to get when we needed to get together to start to talk about Miss Peggy and what needed to be done the our first first encounter around all of that. We ended up, through various and sundry circumstances, we ended up just, all of us, plus assorted wives and hangers-on and all that, sitting in my mother's living room on the floor, talking and telling stories and teasing each other and telling jokes and carrying on. And we just, we laughed our way back into falling in love with each other. We had forgotten how much we loved each other. And we really, really love each other. And we just... It had been so long since we'd been together that we had forgotten. And it was the being funny that made that happen. I mean, we just laughed and we wept all night long. It was great.
0: Oh, let, let's talk about memoir writing, because the, that involves talking about your family. And if they love Thank you, um, you could say anything about them, right? Um, <laughs> how did you How did you work on a story about the whole family? Because Miss Peggy herself says, you're going to write about this, aren't you? Where does the rest of the family fit in in terms of, of you know, pre, pre-publication approval or, or what?
1: Well, generally speaking, here's the rule. If you're going to write memoir and you're going to write about people that you know and love, then the first rule is they always have to be heroes. They can never not. They can never be the bad guy, ever. The only bad guy in the books that I write is me. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's the premise. And and it was an interesting thing for me when I when when I talked to mom. Mom said you should write about this. And I said, this isn't actually my story. And she said, yeah, but maybe we could help some of those old people. <laughs> so I said, okay. So, so, but I wanted to write about it. I, honestly, I did. The power of her, there was something really powerful about her struggle actually bringing her family together in a way that she could no longer do. That was really, really powerful. And so it needed to be written. And so I've been thinking about it. But she's actually the one who brought it up. And I don't think I would have done it had she not either given me permission or given me the assignment one or the other. So then I wrote the thing and I, and I sent it to my my two brothers and my sister and my aunt, but oh, oh, her, my mother's sister, to be sure that the thing was okay with them. And if, if any one of them had felt uncomfortable about it, then I would have just stopped altogether and, and and set it aside and nobody would have ever seen it. But they all felt like the story needed to be told and then of course they all looked glorious in it. So <laughs> what are you gonna do?
0: But you you write with a certain degree of, of, oh, I don't know, reticence or or respect for privacy, perhaps more simply, Uh, in terms of details. um, There's not, you know, like, oh, my my mother worked for X years at this university. You, You don't name the university, for example. So, I mean, it becomes much clearer, you know, if you were a journalist, it would that you would do that so it becomes clearer you're writing it in a different mode
1: yeah I, I, it's a funny thing I, having spent the majority of my life telling my own story mm-hmm. in the hopes that I will either A figure it out or B write it in such a way that you can hear yours in my story you, you begin to see your own. And what matters to me is whether or not the reader, the reader, God, that sounds awful. What what matters to me the most is when you read my story is that at the other end of it, you end up looking at your story. And therefore, the point is for you to look at your story, not for you to look at mine. Therefore, sometimes I give to tale because it helps to, to create a picture so that someone who reads my book can see a picture, but the, but the point is for them to find themselves in that picture, and so not not to find me. I, mean, I I have no interest in anyone seeing me. I only have an interest in you seeing you.
0: I I understand that. Yeah, you're you're not being a reporter here. You're being a a writer, if you will. You know, not a reporter. Have, oh Lord, what <laughs> a nice thing to say. <laughs>
1: I've been been called a lot of things this week. So to be called a writer is a really fun thing. Thank you.
0: Well, then what's your writing routine like? That's a logical question. You've got 16 books to your credit. And I know that, you know, writing is a lonely process, but you also have to be very disciplined um, or the book remains in your head. So uh, how do you get it from your head to to the paper or computer?
1: It turns out it's the only thing I'm allowed to do. I mean <laughs> top of the morning, go to your room and write sentences don't don't mess with anything else. go to your room and write sentences uh-huh. no but i um these days my my discipline is a little different just now than it has been for years. I have a studio in my backyard, and I have an office that I write in sometimes upstairs. but I was recently recently I got a chance it was a gift. My wife and I celebrated the beginning of our 20th year together in Paris. Oh, my goodness. Congratulations. I I know. It was lovely. Both the 20-year part and the being in Paris part and the being with (laughs) the wife part. So it worked out great. But I uh, stumbled into uh, a practice that I used to use a a thousand years ago, it seems now. But I was scribbling in cafes when I was in Paris. And so I now... um, I walk to a cafe that's nearby and scribble in the mornings for a couple of hours and then come back. I scribble in little Moleskine notebooks. Then I come back and I'm usually working on three things at a time. I'm writing something new and then I come home and spend some time during the day doing rewrites on on the thing that I did before. Mm -hmm. And then I'm usually in the middle of uh, like yesterday and all last week in the middle of doing the proofs on something that the publisher already has and so you have to keep pounding around all that stuff. So I, that's usually the way my my process is. I'm working on three things at a time most of the time. So
0: what uh, what does the publisher have that's next in line because this uh, uh, Moving Miss Peggy is out in, in May. What uh, What's right after that?
1: There are two things. Coming one one is I say there are two things coming. One I know is coming, and mm-hmm. that's a book about baptism. I had written a book some time ago about uh, preparing to take the Eucharist, and so I'm writing a book about uh, about what it means to sit in the pew and watch and and watch the baptism. Of a child that you do not know, whose parents that you do not know, and what that actually means to you while sitting in the pew. After all, since you've seen so many of them, and so I'm working on that. And after that, there's a book I started in Paris. I actually, it was a great gift. I, I not only started it in Paris, then I, I worked on it for the for the two weeks I was there, and then and then immediately, kind of frantically, wrote the last half of it. And was surprised that I got to the end of it. And it's about rediscovering the joy of being a writer and perhaps about rediscovering the joy of one's own vocation. So and and I think that's after that.
0: And that and that started in Paris, huh?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. It started on the second it started on the second morning that I was there at um, Cafe Luce and uh, the waiter's name was Simone. Oh. <laughs> and I sat there I sat there every morning for two to three hours for the entire twelve days and scribbled.
0: Was that left oh. bank or right bank?
1: <laughs> right bank. We oh. were eight blocks if you know the city, we were eight blocks from Hotel de B. We had a little balcony, we were in the sixteenth century. No, seventeenth century apartment building in the in the garret on the seventh floor, and I could stand on the balcony and look straight ahead and watch the sun come up over Paris. I could look right and see the spire at Notre Dame, and I could look left and see up the hill to the Basilica of the Sacred Heart.
0: Oh. I'm speechless with envy. (laughs) And I am so speechless. I am thinking that I don't want to impose on your time anymore. I do think our time is coming to a close. Let me just say in this closing that I loved the book. I really loved your writing.
1: Thank you very, very much. I appreciate that.
0: Oh, you're you're welcome. And and my best regards to all of your family. Thank you, ma'am. And um, you can listen, uh, read Robert Benson's newest book about his mother and his family, Moving Miss Peggy, when it's published in May by Abingdon Press, which is the sponsor of today's Faithcast. I'm Marcia Nelson, and this has been Faithcast from Publishers Weekly. Thank you for listening.